do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today is here to show us that love is a borderline personality disorder or worse. Welcome, Boff Conkers. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm all right. What have you been up to? Good, good. I just got back from Ireland. I had a work trip to Ireland in the last week. I was out there tattooing. Very busy. Worked eight days in a row, tattooed about a dozen people. Flight was delayed last night. Been sleeping terribly, but I'm I'm ready for action. Okay. I'm ready to talk. I'm good. still nobody can see me, but I'm still in my pajamas and dressing gown. Lounge lizard. That's the way I like to roll. Well, you say lounge lizard, but Peppa Pig dressing gown doesn't uh, don't don't give it's off those more, vibes. It's more stick of the dump, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we've known each other, fucking donkeys, decades, decades, aren't we? We've go back. Um, it's, it's over. Th it's over thirty years. It's, it's like somehow years, we both managed to scrabble out of a. A small mining town and ended up doing things that we quite enjoy <laughs> that you wouldn't get to do in a small mining town yeah I mean, we, all we, that we were told you couldn't do in a small mine i mean town, it was, over and over it, again it was a mining town when we were born and then it was a post-industrial wasteland <laughs> ravaged <laughs> ravaged by the tory party when we left you know yeah uh, and that's that's the only good thing about coming from a post-industrial wasteland is leaving it. Yeah. Know? Which is yeah. in itself a, a valid experience that I found when I lived in London and when I lived in Reykjavik and even Nottingham. You have to come from a post-industrial wasteland to understand what it is to come from a post-industrial wasteland. And, you know. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and I think... I probably still look like I come from a post-industrial wasteland. Um, yeah, yeah, I I, <laughs> I do on a bad day. It depends I, who I am. You know, I have a decent um, skin health routine. I go to gym every day. I eat really well. and I don't smoke and I don't drink, but somehow I still look fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, imagine what you'd look like if you did smoke and drink and yeah. all those other things. So it's anyway. like, I, I've said it before, sorry, when you get to our age, you're driving a vintage car and you've got to look after it. <laughs> Am I? <you> know? <laughs> I'm still on a fucking yeah, moped. Otherwise, <laughs> if you don't look after it, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's not going to work, you know. You're at that age. When you're at 50, you're at that age. You better look after your engine. Yeah, yeah. I do, I, I know it's a fucking cliche, but I do feel feel loads better i feel i feel better now than i did in my 30s to some degree oh god yeah i had a, i didn't really stop drinking you know stop partying until i was about 40 so yeah mm. my 30s was hard yeah i moved to 
I moved to London when I was 30 and formed a punk rock band and was out all the fucking time. It was, it was... is hard, not only physically, but emotionally, I think, because uh, without, you know, turning into a fucking self-help novel, um, uh, I... I... <laughs> Thirties is difficult because part, particularly your early thirties, because you still think you're a kid, but yet oh god, I did. Mortality's yeah. kicking in fast. Yeah, and moving to London at thirty was kind of like a hard reset. It was like I got to be twenty again. It was like leaving home again. Um, but your body is thirty years old, even if your mind is twenty. So I, I actually sometimes look back and think, wow, I actually survived that you know so okay so yeah as i said i've known you a long time um a lot of people will know you through your tattooing work because that's kind of a big thing that you do um and also you've got a kind of clothing range uh merch sort of stuff so do you want to tell us about both those things right well the tattooing i've been doing for 20 odd years I, I kind of learned to do that as soon as i moved to london i think i was it's quite old actually to start especially these days i think i did my first tattoo at 31 i worked from home worked also as a bartender and played in a punk rock band until for about six years and then i was lucky enough to get a job in a studio tattooing i worked exclusively by hand so it was hand poke which was not a thing then. I know it's an incredibly widespread, fashionable thing now, but at that time, I mean, when I got my first studio job, I was the first licensed tattooist working in London exclusively by hand at that time. And I know for a fact there were some machine tattooists who did handwork as a sideline, but I'm pretty sure I was the first one to get licensed. I was licensed in Islington, and I think nobody else was working exclusively by hand. There are a couple of other guys. There was a guy in Newcastle and a guy in Brighton who were working professionally by hand. But compared to how big it is now on, you know, with Instagram and all these things, it was quite groundbreaking. Um, because of that, I got a lot of attention early on and I was able to get media attention and work conventions and work guest spots abroad, which I did quite a lot. So I've worked across Europe and the States and stuff. Now it's more of a part-time thing and like you say i've got uh, my clothing label satanal which is a heady mix of satanism and sodomy uh we call ourselves the subtitle for the brand is queer satanic bitchcraft and with that i run that in my female alter ego gloria sink and i work fetish and kink markets here in the uk and I sell my products online, and that's fun. I enjoy that. I started that during lockdown with just a badge and a T-shirt, and it's built up to, like, a, a range of stuff now. So it's good. It's, it's good fun. I like to do the both, you know, and also, like I said, I've just worked quite intensely in Ireland. Um, and doing that, I've now got pretty much two weeks off, and that's two weeks that I can spend working on the clothing label and chilling out and... Like you say, it's going to be two weeks of yoga and exercise and eating healthily. Um, it's a weird, it's an extreme balance, but it's a balance I quite like. Like eight days on, two weeks off. That's that's. You're lucky if you can live like that. Yeah, so. but it's always that um, 
panic as a freelancer you know it's kind of like you bit you know it's like you're busy 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 i'll have one day off i'm never gonna work again and it's busy 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 it's just this constant yeah, yeah, yeah. paranoia um but and you know a roller coaster yeah it will go like i've been really busy so I've, right now i've been busy i've earned a, a, you know obviously i've earned a wage and i'm a bit complacent but if nobody inquires about getting tattooed or I don't sell any uh, merchandise through Satanal, um, give me a few days and I'll start thinking, oh, nobody wants my stuff. Nobody wants to get tattooed. What am I going to do? The wheels have fallen off. And then I'll get a couple of inquiries and be like, oh, I'm back. And I've been on that roller coaster really since the end of COVID. Prior to COVID, I was busy all the time and I was, I was more invested in traveling. Uh, since the end of COVID, I've been to Iceland a couple of times, but other than that, I'm just kind of bouncing between England, Ireland, and France. They're my, I'm not so interested in traveling all the time anymore or working tattoo conventions. I'm not a big fan of those anymore. So I've scaled it back a bit. So it should come to no, as no surprise to me that it has scaled back a little bit, but, um, but it's all good. Still, still getting away with it, which is the way I view it. I don't know if you view it the same, considering our shared background. But when I look at what I do for a living, I have this sense that I'm getting away with something. <laughs> like I've pulled something off, like, ooh, you did it. <laughs> you know, it worked. So it's good. So, I mean, basically what you do in terms of the clothing range and, and the tattoo, and, and I would argue that the, both of those things, considering the kind of work you do, it's it, it kind of hovers around the same sort of counterculture of horror i think in that you know tattooing and horror if you look at both of those things i think that they are both much more accepted now um than they, they were 30 or 40 years ago certainly yeah um I definitely with tattooing more than horror uh it's true of horror it's slightly true more of tattooing i think and with satanal because um because it's kind of a sexual thing as well, it leans into gender and sexuality and BDSM, all of which are more overground than they were when we were kids. Yeah. You know? Like I say, I run Satanal in a female alter ego called Gloria Sink. Um, whenever I do markets, I'm presenting fully as female, and I do that online with, um, with Satanal as well. So which leads us quite nicely into the love witch, which is heavily about gender. And I think that's one of the reasons I connected with that film was because I was also on this other journey of self-expression through gender at the same time. Um, so it really resonated with me quite a lot. And, you know, when you're trying, what I try and do when I present as Gloria, somebody said this to me and I thought it was really kind of a cool thing to say. I was at an event and there was a lot of, for want of a better word, there was a lot of cross-dressers. And somebody said to me, you're more convincing than them because you present, you've, you've kind of approached gender in the method, like a method actor. You've studied the minutiae of it. Whereas often with cross-dressers, you know, we can use whatever terminology we want, um, gender non-conforming. It's not really that. It's really transvestism. It's a kink. I'm talking about kink events they just focus in on the object of their kink which might just be a dress or a pair of shoes 
or a bit of makeup or whatever, or a terrible wig, you know? Um, and I really appreciated it when somebody said, you've worked on like body language and facial cues. And I did, I really did. When I first pulled Gloria out of the box, I was looking into this. So I was like, women blink more. So I should blink more when I'm being Gloria. Women keep their body, you know, their elbows are in, their knees are in, they cross their legs high. They don't, and I'm, you know, I know I'm generalizing very much about cisgender women here, but there is a way of presenting yourself. And obviously when you're taking a deep dive into what is, you know, technically the, the opposite gender, you're gonna start looking at it from a lot of different angles, which other people maybe who aren't on that journey will look at it from, you know? So yeah, I think the look for which weirdly was part of that. So it's 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 very significant to me. There's two elements, I'll go on to the other one in a minute, that help me kind of make sense of this in my head. And the love witch was a big thing. Films in general, but yeah, that's one of the main ones. So what's your entry point into horror films then? Um well, I, I would imagine it would be identical to your own. We're talking late night scheduled tv of course we're not talking streaming services or even video like my my relationship with ho with horror like your own three dates um vhs you know so it's it's tv it's scheduled broadcast television and what i would do is i was just always attracted to that the the other the the weird you know the uncanny whatever you want to call it even as a kid i didn't like realistic kid shows you know, I wanted to watch the monsters. I love the monsters. Uh, I wanted to watch Batman, anything that was genre, science fiction, horror, superhero stuff. I had no interest in Grange Hill or Biker Grove, you know, which were, I think were like gateway TV shows to people who got into EastEnders and Coronation Street. You know, it's just like so boring. My, if I want boring, I can just walk out my front door. I want something fantastical. And as a kid, it's fantastic kid shows. And as an adult, it's more horror. And I never, oh, I never got the whole fucking Grange Hill thing. Everybody, no. everybody goes on. It's just, oh, it's fucking dog shit. It was really not good. Absolutely soul destroying. Ab just awful. Like, what is that kind of children's television meant to prime young people for? A life of mundane banality you know what i mean like just terrible terror and i i felt as well that there was nobody like me in that i didn't identify with any of those characters as the weird kid into the weird stuff like you would watch again as an adult as a young adult you watch um you know eastenders coronation street all this crap and there's nobody you relate to. They're just so boring. You know, I related more to the fucking, to the Riddler or the Joker or to Lily Munster than I did to Pete Beale. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Seriously, people, try harder. Like, good God. Oh, why? So, yeah. Twinkle. <laughs> yeah, it's so terrible. Emmerdale Farm. Jesus Christ. So bad, so bad. And then the weird thing is, that's very much a mainstream culture thing. But when you go into like, for want of a better word, higher culture, 
when you it's actually more fantastical than that you know when you get into your shakespeare it's all ghosts and stuff or you know your romantic poets or your actual literature is a, a lot more fantastical than the than this kind of bedrock of mainstream lumpen proletariat shite that you're spoon-fed from an early age you know oh we'll watch that don't even get me started on football you know it's just like jesus christ so yeah when you're out of step you're gonna go towards horror i think you'll go towards horror because definitely back then there were no good superhero films no i mean i love adam west batman but there were no superhero films really then i'm talking like in the 80s really early 80s no and no. fantasy films were fantasy films were rubbish as well. I love them. I love Hawk the Slayer and Conan the Barbarian and all that. But they weren't fully realised like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or something. They were rubbish. Whereas horror, especially kind of that late 60s, early 70s, people were taking it seriously. You know, we look at The Exorcist and The Shining and Rosemary's Baby, you know, all these films. They, they were serious filmmakers tackling heavy subjects and you weren't getting that in superheroes or fantasy. So horror was the natural way you were going to go when you started watching more grown up films, I think. OK, so um, it's time to introduce the film we're going to be looking at today. So we are going to discuss uh, Anna Biller's film The Love Witch from 2016. If I gave Richard sex every time he wanted it, I'd be a wreck. Poor Richard. He loves you, and he wants you, and you torture him. You have to give a man his fantasy. <laughs> his fantasy? Yes, his fantasy. What I'm really interested in is love. You might say I'm addicted to love. I wonder if all women feel that way. So, Boff, when did you first come across this film? Well, I remember it um, very clearly in that I don't remember it very clearly at all. I first watched it when I was living in Reykjavik in Iceland. And that was my general thing then. Is it, I found the place and my life at that time to be very, very boring. But I'd moved there and <laughs> the money was all right. So, um, yeah, I was, I was living in a flat in downtown Reykjavik. And pretty much what I do every night is get incredibly stoned and watch a horror film. And somehow The Love Witch, I'd seen the trailer or something. Somehow I was aware of it. It, 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 it you know, penetrated into, my, into me somehow. And that's what I did. I would have finished work at the tattoo studio trudged home in the snow, got incredibly stoned and put this film on. I don't remember where I first streamed it. I don't know if it was on Netflix. I know it's been on Netflix for a while. I don't know where I watched it. Amazon, maybe? I don't know. But anyway, I watched it. And I remember at the end of it, through a marijuana-induced haze, thinking, that was fucking brilliant. And I went to bed. And I woke up the next day and I just thought, wow, that film was really good. But I don't really remember much about it. So then I watched it again with a much more sober head. 
And I was like, this is fantastic. It's amazing. It's like everything that I want from cinema in a way, because as you know, like yourself, I'd be a fan of like late stage Hammer when it when, when Hammer went more into a sex exploitation vein, you know, um, you know, Lust for a Vampire, Twins of Evil, that kind of thing. Or I'd also be a big fan of Giallo um, and a lot of other stuff. And I just like that late 60s, early 70s aesthetic that the love which has. So in the first instance, I think my first appreciation of it was like a aesthetic appreciation. I just thought it looked great. She looks great. And then it, I really think it rewards repeated viewing because you have to get past that surface level of um, glamour to get to the underlying thing that is it exploitation? Is it comedy? No, it's actually quite an intense tragedy. Clearly. I mean, the character of Elaine is absolutely damaged beyond repair. It's really quite, and it takes a few viewings to realise how deep it is and how it's a film really about trauma as much as anything. Um, it about- is, but I, I think that, I, I think we'll get to those themes later on. But I think that, you know, as you said, you you can't talk about this film without talking about the aesthetic, not because it's a more frivolous thing, but because it is so well done. It is. I I'm a massive advocate for 21st century horror films. I think there are some absolute superb films to come out in this decade, this last 20 years, and and the Love Witch being one of those. Um. Yet, I, I will be hard push to say there is any other film that gets the aesthetic quite as well as this one does. It is the attention to detail in this. And I think that is absolutely down to Annabella. If you can, um, I mean, the, the, the term auteur is, is thrown about a lot these days and and it's a nonsense term largely because usually what we mean by that is the director one person who for for sake of brevity we need to pin on and say well it's his or her vision um which which i get but you know filmmaking on the main or in the main is uh, a collaborative effort lots of people are involved in making a film usually However, I mean, there is a good argument to say that Annabella is auteur, whether she wants to be or not. But you're talking about the work ethic here. This is not just, this is a director, this is a writer, this is a producer. It's her show. She's running it down to, you know, creating the set pieces, the the set design, uh, you know, uh, making rugs, things like that. Everything you see everything on screen it's Anna, even the music as well is annabella this is someone in complete control of what she wants so whether you like what she's doing or not it's absolutely an annabella film you cannot argue but with then that. but then what i like with what you're just saying is that's also the character so it's yeah. quite meta yeah elaine yeah, yeah. is monomaniacal in her approach to her aesthetics and so is Annabella. 
So it's there. The filmmaker and the character are doing the same thing. And that's that's really interesting. So Annabella spends forever making a rug, designing the clothes, painting the pictures. That's how Elaine presents herself. She is absolutely obsessed with the smallest detail. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things about it. And I'd also say um, the idea that glamour is frivolous is to misunderstand it from the point that, you know, the point that both Annabella and Elaine are approaching glamour is it's not fucking frivolous, it's deadly serious, it's life no. or death. And that's no. great. And so, you know, so I'd say like, you look at Elaine and there are scenes where she's at home, she's not expecting anybody to come around, she's making her potions or doing her spells or whatever, and everything is perfect. She, the, the character would never not be 100% put together. And the amount of work that would go into that for a human being, for a woman out in the world, it was always that put together, even when she's alone. That's on a similar level. And you can see it as some kind of like, a, I don't know, comparison or something with the approach that Anna Biller has. You know, Elaine uh, approaches and puts herself together in the same way that Anna Biller um, put together and approached the film, super focused and doing everything and taking care of every detail. So that's kind of an interesting meta comparison between the character and the filmmaking process. But it's also, I think it's it's interesting that, because I agree, I don't, I don't think the way it looks is frivolous in terms of that it's trying to create something just for a laugh. Let's just do it campy. There is a reason for it. But I, yeah. I think it's interesting that the it you know burlesque is at the center of this film and the film yeah, itself yeah, yeah. is a burlesque it's a burlesque yeah. of the male gaze it is presenting you with i mean this is my interpretation so i'm sure people will disagree but it seems to be presenting you with everything that is normally associated with the male gaze, you know, in terms of you look at some of those late 60s, early 70s, they are usually through that male gaze, you know, mm. so it presents you with everything you might want uh, if you were making a male gaze film. However, what it does is, like I said, it presents a burlesque in that it flips those round and it subverts it into something which is far darker and far stranger. I think it's really, it's, the thing about the film is, it's like, it's impossible to put your finger on it, which I think is, is the concept of femininity when viewed from a masculine perspective is you can never pin it down. I think like you said, you can't pin this film down. It's constantly changing. It's more, you know, it's best to understand this film. It's good to understand it intellectually, but you have to understand it intuitively at the same time. And that's a very sort of, I think, a very feminine approach to, to a lot of things. Um, and I think as regard, I mean, obviously, uh, Elaine is a certain type of male gaze personified, but it's almost like a feminine interpretation of the male gaze where I think in culture today, which is why it goes back to being older, old Hollywood, burlesque, all these things, a lot of femininity in culture 
is kind of a quite masculine version of femininity, if that makes sense. If you look at the way that burlesque has been replaced by pole dancing and splits, and it's very like, bam, bam, bam. It's like a hard version of the male gaze. Whereas the Love Witch and burlesque and old Hollywood is like a feminine interpretation of the male gaze, if that makes sense. Yeah, which and is I, why it has to be has to be vintage because that's not where we're at. I I think it's interesting. Is I mean it's weird because I'm sitting here now talking, and I want to you know you, you, you when I approached you about doing this, you wanted to do the love witch, which I'm fine about doing, and I I like it. But I always but I'm also slightly reticent because it's I feel almost awkward you know two blokes talking about the love witch you know yeah and, yeah. and it, this leads um, me to a, a kind of slightly wider just to get on my soapbox for a minute i am abs you know before anybody writes in or whatever or whatever the kids do these days i <laughs> i am not i um i'm not um i am very aware that every episode of tv terror so far has been with um, it's been male, you know, male guests. Right. That is not a deliberate thing. I've not just sought mm. to see. I there are women guests coming up, folks. So do the, it, it's happening. It's just sometimes because of people's schedules, it takes a while to sort things out. So just in case people are thinking this is a a boy's own, it it's not okay. So yeah, I don't. I, happening. Would, I wouldn't want anybody to say, you know. It's interesting, though, because I'm going to like contradict myself before I've even made the point that I'm about to make. I have looked and watched and read reviews by male film critics of The Love Witch, and I don't think that I'm one of the gang because sometimes I put on a face full of makeup and wear a skirt, you know. I, I don't think that gives me some kind of... might give me a perspective from my perspective, but I know I'm not over there, you know. Um... Male film critics don't get it. I saw something or I read something where somebody was comparing it to Russ Mayer and then somebody else is comparing it to Kenneth Anger. And I'm like, okay, very, very loose, but you're trying to shoehorn this film into a box that you understand by comparing it to films made by men when it's really its own thing, you know? And I think this, this is perfectly valid for anybody of any and all gender identities to look at any work of art and try and understand it as best they can. And I think a lot of film critics haven't tried to understand this film because I guess a lot of film critics, they probably only watch something once and then make their mind up. They've probably made their mind up in the first 10 minutes what the film is, you know, because that's their job. I've watched this film a dozen times and each time there are layers of, of meaning and understanding in it. You know, so, yeah, I think it's perfectly fine that we're talking about it here and now, because I think it's good that this film gets talked about. OK, I want to talk about the um, aesthetical and thematical sort of influence in terms of other movies, other films. What what are you picking up? What what is going into this production? Um, well, the thing that's most obvious is the comparison to like Jacques Remy's films, obviously Poe Dan, Donkey Skin, which really looks like the Renaissance fair scene, very much so, but also the scene where Elaine is preparing a love spell and she's got a book. And then if you watch Poe Dan, 
Catherine Deneuve is baking a cake and she's got more or less the same. Her cookbook is the same as Elaine's spell book. Also, when she bakes the cake in Podan, she dresses in this golden princess dress, even though nobody's there. She's dressed up, fully put together to do this, which makes that cake, which it really is in Podan. The cake is a spell, you know. So that scene is almost like a parallel of the scene in The Love Witch. And then if you watch um, Les Demoiselles de Rochefort, uh, the young girls of Rochefort, whatever it is, by Jacques Demy, it's very similar to The Love Witch. There's a scene where two of the actresses do a dance as twins, like mirror images of themselves, which is exactly like the scene that Star and Moon do at the Burlesque Club. The big, wide-brimmed hats, that's super Jacques Demy. So he's, I would say he's the biggest influence, not just Podin, which I think it gets compared to a lot because of the fantasy imagery, but also his, his wider oeuvre. Um, and then and then the giallo thing, then maybe even uh, Daughters of Darkness with the use of colour and the use of the colour red, that's in there. And like I said, like a late era, late 60s, early 70s hammer when they went more sexploitation. That's there, the richness, the glamour, the, it's, it's, that's the aesthetic. And that's why I connected to it aesthetically immediately. The Velvet Vampire as well, that's in there. I connected to it immediately because that's the aesthetic I like the best. And then it was repeated viewings, which enabled me to understand the depth of the film a little bit more. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the, they obviously mention it in the film itself, but I think, you know, there are elements of Stepford Wives, you know, in terms of like, yeah, the, the, you yeah. know, the tea rooms, that's a very Stepford Wives type um, image. And I, I love that. Do you know the story behind Stepford Wives? Well, so, you know, this is so, this is a bit weird. I've never seen it, but I've read it. Never seen it. Oh, it's fucking great. The original 70s version of Stepford yeah. Wives is brilliant. I, I, I one of the, the the stories I love is that um, you've got the director and his wife at the time, or you know, I think he carried on being married till till whenever. But um, Nanette Newman, who we probably know through sort of um, fairy liquid adverts and things like that. Yeah. But she was obviously she was in it, and the original idea for Stepford Wives was for them to be like Playboy bunny type models, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. and Nanette Newman was in it, so she's like fuck that <laughs> and so that the classic sort of those big hats and those laura ashley type dresses yeah yeah, yeah. been very different but it was basically nanette newman putting her foot down you know because her husband was director so yeah but yeah you can definitely see that in it uh, on an aesthetic but i think also more thematically i don't know if you've ever seen uh george romero's season of the witch that's very yes, yeah. yes very kind of there, there's you know very not very uh, there's a few nods to that but i think yeah. probably in terms of overall you know the the more obvious aesthetic is sergio martino's all the colors of the dark you know yeah uh, yeah and, and very yeah. And like very i said telling. The vampire it's not a well-known film but the velvet vampire is very like the love witch to me as well um yeah, it also there's there's other influences like it, there's a strong tarot influence. Like a, a the the Renaissance fair scene looks like it's come straight out of the Rider Waite tarot deck. The clothes, the color scheme, 
It's interesting because when she walks into the apartment with Trish the first time, Trish says, oh, Barbara had me decorate it in the colour scheme of the Thoth Tarot. And I think it's more Ride Away than Thoth. You know, it's 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 more primary colours, that film, I think. Whereas the Thoth is a bit more pastel. I don't know. But um, yeah, and there's the influence of, I think there's got to be an influence from like Angela Carter, you yeah. know, in the, it, the kind of fairy tale thing and the, the menstruation thing, you know, that's the bloody chamber. I mean, we know what the bloody chamber is. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of influences that I really like. I think Elaine's personal philosophy and attitude is almost lifted directly from The Satanic Witch by Anton LaVey. It's like she she completely understood that book and completely misunderstood it at the same time, which is interesting as well. Um, so there's a lot of influences. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think, is there any, are there any films later than that classic late 60s, early 70s period that, does it remind you of anything from the 90s? It doesn't really to me. No, no. You know, no. so it, it's really, it's really focused on that period, it seems. I think, you know, like you said, the Angela Carter thing, I think, you know, that is... You know, I, you know, everybody thinks about the company of wolves and the bloody chamber and all that, and obviously, the that the whole idea of female power and menstruation and red as the key color because love the love witch is a kind of study in red, and I think it's interesting that around you know the same year you get Alice Lowe's Prevenge in Britain, which was, you know, again, using red as that key color. And then around that same time, you also had things like Funny Cow, Maxine Peake. Again, the red is a significant color. Yeah. And The Witch. Yeah. The Witch, which is a very kind of monochrome film, apart from the odd splash of red when the, the, the witch appears in red or um, Schindler's List when the red appears out of the thing the girl in the red dress and stuff, red coat. Uh, it's interesting. I was just thinking about it. There's almost, this is a leap, I know. There's almost an element, I think, of Rocky Horror in it, right? I know this, I'm pushing it here. But Frankenfurter is a doomed character, mm. you know, who presents this, this, this put-together image of one thing. And I just think in the pathos at the end of Rocky Horror, when he's like, even smiling makes my face ache. You know, I can imagine that applies to Elaine as well. Which brings me on to one of the things I really love about the film is the way that Samantha Robinson performs via facial expressions. It's fantastic. I watched it once and I just was obsessed with that, that kind of feature of the film. Like she's always smiling at people. And then when they turn her back, their backs on her, she like scowls at them, if you notice that. Yeah, yeah. And then she's just such an awful person. When Trisha's husband has killed herself because of Elaine and they go for coffee, Elaine is so bad. Like she's so obviously not interested in this woman's grief. She's almost like rolling her eyes and like, anyway, I've got to go. <laughs> it's so, she's so terrible. And I really like that false, that kind of, the fact that it's all an affectation and an act. And whenever she's engaging, she's smiling. And as soon as they look away, she's kind of scowling at them. So even smiling makes her face ache. I can say there is, 
there's a re- this is a long stretch I'm about to do, but I can't think of a film from the 90s that has been that via things like Tumblr and this whole like girl blogger Lana Del Rey Love Witch aesthetic. A lot of people who really like the Love Witch seem to really like the Virgin Suicides. Yeah. I, you know, I... that that that's a film from the again made by a woman, obviously, that has that kind of doomed that's maybe that's where i'm connecting frank converted to it as well this doomed glamour it's doomed from day one everybody's doomed you know and that's the most romantic thing ever you know that's just like that these these creatures are almost too good for this world i know elaine is like a murderer and stuff but it's it's almost the world that's at fault not elaine if you know what i mean well elaine you know she she's she's damaged that's the thing i mean mean, that's the tragedy of it she really it's not that she doesn't have control but she's so damaged that what she's doing makes no sense to us maybe but it makes perfect Mm. sense to her in the same way you know as mentioned you know you got revenge the same year coming out that is a similar thing you know ruth really doesn't you know she she's so lost uh, mm. and even though you've got these kind of the, these it's very much a black comedy revenge but essentially it's a sad film you know it's very yeah, very yeah. very sad you know what's happened to that to that woman and i think um you know it doesn't excuse her going on a serial killer rage you know but no uh, but but also her victims become well are we really going to miss these people from society? They're not, they're not, you know, her victims can't, are asking for it in a way. Yeah. I mean, I've only watched, um, Prevenge the one time and I will watch it again, but I feel that's true of Prevenge, but it's definitely not true of the Love Witch. I mean, no. these, uh, these no, people no, are no. More, more or less innocent. The first guy she kills in the film, not, it's obviously not the first guy she's killed. The university lecturer, Wayne, um, there's nothing wrong with that guy. <laughs> you know, he's probably a good guy. He's a teacher. You know, he seems nice. He's a bit, and bit, a bit of a lech, but that's about it. You know, he's uh, not yeah, he doesn't deserve to be killed. No. And I, I, I'm just watching. I obviously watched the film again for the first time in a while before we recorded this, and I wonder. She poisons him, and I'm really confused as to like. Does she deliberately poison him? Now she acts, when she finds him dead, she acts upset and shocked for about five seconds. And then she just gets on with the business of burying him. And I wonder if her mind is so damaged and fragmented that she deliberately poisons him and then almost puts that act on for herself, you know? Because, yeah, it's Because, weird, because she's, I, she's not really... Because it's like she doesn't see that she's done anything wrong because she doesn't, she buries him in the garden, but it's not, she's not hiding it away. It's very obvious that there's a body buried there. I mean, she's, she's super terrible at covering her tracks, which makes you wonder if she's after getting caught, you know, which apparently is a thing when these things happen. Um, Yeah. And that again, you're, you're, you're not kind of, you're not just given a very easy explanation for why characters act the way they do. You're given some hint, but you don't really get 
much insight into why would you do that you know it's it's again you know again sort of linking into prevenge i think you know prevenge is obviously much more kitchen sink and and it's kind in 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 you know it's more real in in that sense but in a way actually but actually connection Love Witch is more like Garth Marenghi's dark face. Yeah. But, with but the wigs Ruth, and everything. It's so stylized. But Ruth is a character. What's happening, her story is could almost be a fantasy because it is in a bubble. It's outside of normality, mm. not only because she thinks it's her unborn child that's telling her to do these things, but also there's no police. No, nobody's on the case. Nobody's trying to find. Yeah, it's yeah, always yeah. like she's just That's doing true. these things. You know, is it happening? Does she just think she's doing this stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I must watch that again soon. I think uh, I did enjoy it the first time. I just never got around to watching it the second time. It is very good, though. So in terms of The Love Witch, if someone out there has not seen it, um, what what how, what how would you recommend it why should someone right. see well, first, film out? listen the first thing i'd say is don't go and watch it at the cinema at halloween unless you literally want to sit in a cinema full of people laughing their asses off which i i i amazingly i'd always wanted to see it at the cinema i left after 20 minutes because most of the audience were laughing at every single word scene look and I could see why. And uh, this is, goes on to a wider thing, which is never go and see a horror film at Halloween because the audience is full of amateurs who don't normally watch horror films. I mean, arguably The Love Witch might not be a horror film, but it was billed as such. Um, I went to see The Shining and the audience were laughing all the way through. A friend of mine went to see The Exorcist and they, they think it's a joke. <laughs> How dare they think horror is a joke? Um, well, it's and it's, it's the, once once a year fancy dress to most people, and I, you yeah, know I my, equated um, to I might watch a football match once every four years, maybe, maybe, um, but I I don't pretend to be an expert in football. I don't really get it. You don't you don't understand but, the offside rule. But, but one the, thing I noticed when Halloween I comes it, around, everybody's a yeah. fucking expert. And you get these people on Facebook like say, oh, it's spooky season. We get to watch horror films. Oh, like, don't don't talk to me about, about fucking Shocktober. Fuck off. Yeah, Shocktober. so I'm in the cinema watching it and <laughs> a good half of the audience are like pissing themselves laughing at every bloody word. And I did see that there were other people like me. My Lana Del Radar was in full effect. And there were other people. <laughs> you know, there was like groups of or even solo like hashtag fucking coquette tumblr girl bloggers who were there for the film who weren't laughing and it's like they they understand it they've watched it multiple times they understand what it's really about and the person who i went to see it with said after about 15 minutes we have to leave this is ruining the film and i don't just mean ruining this presentation of it it's ruining the film for me and I said, yeah, let's get out of here. This is this is awful. It would be like going to see a really like sensitive, introverted singer-songwriter and everybody's talking on their phone. You know, it was ruining the film. So don't go and watch it in the cinema at Halloween. Watch yeah, you it, need you, you, you need know. to you need to prove that you've watched it three times and understood it before you're allowed in the cinema. <laughs> 
Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. like I, I think just, that's just, fair. That's fair. Just don't go, go to, to see a horror film. Uh, I would go to a football match and, and start pretending I understood what was going on. Don't do it no, with my no. films. Exactly. exactly. So, <laughs> I recommend old people. Cunt. <laughs> I recommend people watch it multiple times. That's my thing. But then again, I would say that about absolutely any film that I. Well, I, you know, I, 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 you know, hand on heart, I didn't. First time I saw it, I didn't get it. I was kind of, I really yeah. don't know about this. And then I watched it a couple of times more, and it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I get this now. I really, yeah, I understand yeah. the groove this is working in now. It's not. And I think what's it, it, it is good to watch on your own. I know that sounds weird. I, I watched it with somebody the first time I watched it, and then I think I watched it on my own. And you, you invest in it more in some strange way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. If you if you like that aesthetic, then the the aesthetic will draw you in. But if you only like that aesthetic, maybe the depth of the film will put you off. And I I think it would be really interesting if we could see a version of the Love Witch that was, for want of a better term, played straight, filmed like uh like for want of a better word, a normal film where everybody was dressed normally, and it was played seriously. You know, I just. I think it'd still be a brilliant film, but I think it'd get a lot more acceptance from critics and audiences in general if it just looked grey and bleak. And it was because the films that I think it has most in common with are films like Psycho and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It's like a descent into insanity, especially the bit where Trish and Elena fight in and she pulls Trisha's wig off and that. It's really got that that whatever happened to baby Jane kind of thing to it. And it's about madness. And the last scene when she rides off on the horse at the end and it focuses in on her face, super reminiscent of Psycho in the end yeah, where yeah. he breaks the fourth wall, you know? So it's, it's about that, but it's like that. It's this, but it looks like this. And I can see how that's confusing for people. It looks like one thing, but it is another thing, but that's, that's femininity. On that bombshell. Um, yeah, so. Um, just remember to please, please, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram and all that. And listen to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. We're fucking all over the place, I'm telling you. And also, if you can give us a review, a nice review, that would be really good because it helps me out a lot. Uh, it just remains for me to say thank you to my guest for this week's episode, Boff Conkers. Thanks a lot. Thank you. No problem. We can do it again if you want, if we can think of a suitable presentation. We will. We will. We, you, we'll, I'll have you back on at some point. Marvelous. So, remember to call round next time make yourself at home you're probably dying for a nice cup of tea for terror and remember my friend future events such as these will affect you in the future